starting all the way back from Genesis chapter 12, that God makes a covenant. This is an unconditional covenant. In other words, this is what God is going to do. Not based on anything that anyone else does. This is God's intent. He makes it clear that God is going to personally bless Abraham. He is going to make of Abraham a great nation. And he's going to bless that nation. Anyone that blesses that nation will be blessed. Anyone that curses that nation will be cursed. And through this nation, all the families of the world will be blessed. Very, very important. If you are to understand anything that comes after Genesis chapter 12, you must understand that covenant. It explains everything that Jesus does when he comes, the things that he teaches, the things that he promises. It tells us exactly what yet is still to come. Very important. And then in Genesis 15, he tells him that his family is going to go down into a nation and be slaves there for 400 years but they will come out very victorious and very wealthy. They will plunder that nation, as it were. A family is about to go to Egypt. Keep your eyes on this family, my friends. Keep your eyes. Do you know what it is that inhibits Christ's return right now? You know what has to happen before the Lord Jesus returns and gathers his church to himself? Take notes, my friends. It's not what you do. It's what the nation of Israel does. Jesus said to them at the end of his ministry, you will not see me again until you say the nation of Israel Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until the nation of Israel comes to faith in Christ, kingdom will not be established. What kingdom? Son of David who sits on the throne of his father David and reigns for 1,000 years over the nation of Israel and all of the world. Well, my friends, here we are in Genesis chapter 43, and we have seen this dreadful account, and we say, what a mess of a family. Why in the world did God choose these people? We may have asked our, uh, the Lord about that ourselves in that regard. What in the world did you choose me for? And they are a mess, and I'll tell you the answer is this, grace, God's grace, but also to demonstrate his great providence his great working in our life. And throughout this story, we look at Joseph and we say, oh my goodness, what? I'll tell you what, Joseph isn't the star of this story. It is the Lord. So you know how when you meet somebody new, you kind of test them a bit? I mean, you listen in. What kind of person is this? You know, they start talking about their family. They refer to their spouse maybe as their ball and chain. That's telling you stuff, isn't it? You know, you listen to how they talk about varied experiences that they've had. You listen in 
and you get to know what kind of people you are, they are. In this section that we're going to look at here this morning of the account of Joseph and his brothers, Joseph continues testing his brothers. You know, all the way from the beginning of the story, Joseph has a dream. A dream, and this is revelation, divine revelation that God has shown him that at one time in his future, his family is going to bow down to him. His, his brothers can't even stand him. They are jealous of him. They hate him. They plot to murder him. And instead, they just they show kindness to him and sell him as a slave. And they think they are done. Except those dreams that he had, they continue. And there's a few other dreams. Seven years of plenty. Remember Pharaoh's dream? Seven years. Oh, my goodness. Joseph says, oh, my, this is going to be the best seven years anyone can ever imagine. You're going to have so much food. You're going to have to build up the barns to store it in every city because afterward, seven years of great famine. Seven years that are so horrific that no one will even be able to remember how great the previous seven years were. And you know that God used that to bring Joseph's brothers into Egypt to meet the brother they sold as a slave. What a powerful, powerful story. Well, you may recall Joseph hid his identity. They didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. Remember, he put him in jail for three days and sent him on their way. And you remember the last thing he did is he had all of their money put back into their packs. Plenty of grain, send it back. This is my family. He took care of them, but he put the money back in the sack. And they discovered it, and they were horrified thinking, oh, no, what is the Lord doing to us? And you know what the answer is? Reconciling your family. That's what the Lord is doing. Take a look here. In verse 1 of chapter 43, now it's about time to go back. All of that grain they bought in Egypt is gone Despair is a great motivator, isn't it, my friends? We've got nothing to eat. We must act. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, well, go again and buy us a little food. But notice a bit of a dispute here. But Judah said to him, the man, you remember that's what they refer to Joseph as, the man, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Well, we don't want to see your face. We just want to buy grain. But the problem is you want to buy grain? You got to see Joseph. And if you send your, uh, our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But, and here Judah lays it on the line, but if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And there it is, laying it on the line. And Israel, wait a minute, thought his name was Jacob. Well, the Lord gave him a new name, didn't he? But he hadn't been living it out. 
But Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly to tell the man that you had another brother? And they replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? And do you have another brother? And we were told him it was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? How could we possibly know that? But Judah or Jacob is, is not happy about that. But here's the deal. You will notice in verse 8 that Judah lays it down. And he says to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and all of these kids. And I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have returned twice. All of the delay. The food running out. What's, what are we going to eat today? Hmm. And there's the deal. Now you notice here in verse 11, Jacob is Jacob. He hasn't changed much over the years. From the deceiver that he was from birth. He comes up with an idea. Notice here in verse 11. He says, Then their father Israel said to them, Well, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land and your bags and carry a present down to the man. Double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. <laughs> it was an accident. Was the providence of God, my friend, working through Joseph. Take also your brother and arise and go again to the man. Verse 14. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your brother Benjamin. Your brother and Benjamin. Remember, they left a, bre a brother there, didn't they? And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Kesarasara, my friends. So the men took the present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. And they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. You see, the plan here is bring a nice present. Get on his good side. You know, and that was exactly what he tried with his own brother, you know. When he, he came to meet Esau, he sent a great number of gifts, cattle and sheep and goats and all these things as a gift trying to soften him up so his brother wouldn't kill him after stealing his blessing. Oh, my goodness. And his birthright. So just send him a gift. Soften this guy up a bit. That's what we'll do. And then we come to a second round of tests. Now, note carefully what happens here, my friends. This, I would dare to say, is the highlight of the book. As a matter of fact, if you think of the book of Genesis and you think of all of the characters that we find in the book of Genesis, there is no one that takes up more pages of scripture here in the book of Genesis than Joseph. And yet, who is, on, uh, who is the spotlight on, my friends? It is on the Lord. Take a look and see. 
So here in verse 16, we see that when uh, Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the man into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men uh, to dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And so there they are arriving in Egypt. There's Joseph. There they are. And there's Benjamin. Bring them into my house. We're going to have lunch. And how do they respond to this? Well, the first thing we see is panic. And we've seen that a lot in their life. And I'll tell you this, friends. The cause of it all is their own very sin. Their jealousness, their hatred, their their just their animosity toward their brother. This is the fruit of their sin. All of these things would have been, think about it. You know what? This is not right to treat our brother this way. Let's sit down and talk to him about how his actions make us feel and help him better understand what's going on. Oh no, let's just sell this guy as a slave. They ruin their life and their sin, my friend. And so here is this panic. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we're brought in. So that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. All is lost. Did they never talk about the Abrahamic covenant in their family, I wonder? promises of God because if they did and they remembered such things they might instead ask I wonder what it is the Lord is doing now so here in verse 19 they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and they said Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each other's money in the mouth of the sack. Our money is in full weight. So we have brought it again to us. And we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. And so there they are, pleading their innocence. But notice what indeed the steward says to them in verse 24. And when the man who had brought them into Joseph's house had given them water and had washed their feet. Now, we missed verse 23, didn't we? He replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in their sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And we have to wonder, how, how into all of this is this steward? Is he an innocent bystander or is he working in conjunction with Joseph here? But the intended effect here is reassurance that their God is at work. Think it helps? So when the man brought them into Joseph's house, verse 24, and had given them water and they had washed their feet and when they had given their donkeys fodder and they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, 
for they heard they should eat bread there. And he spoke kind words to Benjamin. Here comes the first test, friends. You ready? We're going to lay it out here. Test number one. How has he thus far, Joseph, spoken to his brothers? Roughly. He has not been kind and soft and loving. He has spoken roughly to them. But there's Benjamin. And when Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present they had had with him and bowed down to the ground. Wait a minute. His brothers bowed down to him. How many are there, by the way? All the uh, moon and the sun and the 11 stars. There's the fulfillment right there. And don't think for a moment that Joseph doesn't notice it, my friends. And it makes me wonder if his brothers ever went. Well, you can't see my expression, can you? Well, you're going to have to imagine my mouth wide open, gaping, thinking, this is what Joseph said would happen to him. Until we sold him and as a slave and now he's probably dead somewhere. Hmm, but there's Joseph. Maybe instead of looking around, Joseph is looking up. Just as the Lord had said. Did Joseph command them to do this? There's no command here. And they bowed down to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, you know, his brother, <laughs> and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? God, be gracious to you, my son. He didn't talk like that to the rest of the brothers, did he? Verse 30, then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep and he entered his chamber and wept there. This is not an easy thing for Joseph to do. Some people have tried to place Joseph as just being a monster here. He's not trying to harm them here, my friends. He's trying to test them to see what kind of men they are today. So he has spoken very kind words to Benjamin. <coughs> and here in verses uh, 11 through uh, 34, he shows preference to Benjamin. Remember, that's what set them off. His father showed preference to Joseph, and his brothers hated that. See how they respond to that. So verse 11, that he washed his face. 31, I'm sorry. He washed his face and came out and controlling himself. He said, serve the food. And they served him by himself. And them by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. You got three groups of people here. Because the Egyptians, they don't eat food with other people. You may recall that uh, they don't even let anybody other than Egyptian prepare their food. Hmm. So they served him 
and the brothers by themselves, the Egyptians over here, and they could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they set before him the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked around at one another in amazement, because there they were seated in birth order. On the world they figure that out. Man, that was a lucky thing, huh? <laughs> yeah. But notice here in verse um, 34, portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any as theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Which means they drank too much. Hmm. And so the tests. What if I'm kind to Benjamin and I'm not to the others? What if I show preference to him and give him five times what the others receive? How do they respond? And do you know what is painfully obvious here? There's no response at all. Huh, maybe something changed with this, these guys. Maybe something's different. Well, when we come to chapter 44, when we come to chapter 44, we see the climax of these tests. And here's Joseph's plot. In verse 40, or chapter 44, verse 1, we read, Then he commanded the stewards of the house, Fill the man's sack with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. But you will also notice here in verse 2, And put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph had told him. Well, what's he up to here, friends? And as soon as the morning light, the men were sent away with their donkeys, and they had gone only a short distance from the city. And now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks? And this that he practices divination? You have done evil in his doing this. And when he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. And they said to him, why does my Lord speak words like as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks. We brought it back to you from the land of Canaan. How then... Could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? In other words, we're not the kind of people who would take what isn't ours. We brought back the money. We didn't even keep it. Why would we steal a cup, for heaven's sakes? But the cup is now found in verse 9. Whichever of your servants, Joseph says, or his steward, whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. And so there's the brothers pleading their innocence. Look, I mean, if you find it, go ahead, kill the person. Because you ain't going to find it here. 
we didn't steal it. <laughs> and he said, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered the sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched, beginning from the oldest and ending to the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Well, that's where they put it. Where else would it be? And they tore their clothes, verse 13. They tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. And when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell before him to the ground over and over again. There they are. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? Now, this, of course, was uh, <laughs> not something that God had prescribed for the people of God, divination. But here is Joseph playing himself the Egyptian. And Judah pleads for Benjamin. I want you to notice some things here, friends, that demonstrate that this test reveals all. Here in verse 16, Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and also in whose hand the cup has been found. And so here's Judah saying, No, we're all servants. No trying to escape here, no trying to better himself. Every one of us is guilty before God, and we deserve it. And Joseph says, but he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose, the, uh, whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go in peace to your father. And here Judah begins to recount the events that took place. A little bit of perspective. And Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked the servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, and a child of his old age. And his brother is dead, and he alone is left. His mother's children and his father loves him. And so this picture is that Jacob, again, is showing favoritism, you know, to, to yet another one of Rachel's children. His father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I might set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. And when we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, Buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother does not go with us, then we will not go down. 
for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore two sons. Now listen here carefully, friends. Here is Joseph for the first time hearing their account of Joseph being sold as a slave. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me. And I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. And if you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hair in evil to show. That's the grave. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Shaul. And notice this, my friends. Judah offers to take Benjamin's place. That's an act of character, is not is this not love? To look out for the betterment of someone else other than yourself? It's a sacrificial investment. Verse 32, for your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. You will note he didn't say that in chapter 37. How can we do this to Joseph? How can I go back and see my father's face knowing that he is gone? Something changed, friends. Something changed, and it's big. Apparently, he thought of someone else other than himself. How could I do this to my father? Imagine. And here it is, my friends, the climax. You have been waiting for mere months for this. And here it is. Chapter 45. We're not going to finish it, friends. Just relax. <laughs> and Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers. Then Joseph, verse 1 of chapter 45, could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me so that no one stayed with him. When Joseph made himself known to his brothers and he wept aloud so that all the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. 
for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph weeping, making himself known and comforting his brothers with the truth. Please don't miss this. Friends, if you forget everything else about the book of Genesis, do not forget this. Do not forget this. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And they all went, <laughs> but they didn't need to. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Where would you be in this famine if the Lord did not send me here? Perspective. Perspective. Look at verse 6. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me here to preserve life. The life of the Egyptians, the life of the Canaanites, and the lives of the sons of Jacob. And God sent me, verse 7, before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. God sent me here to preserve life. God sent me here to preserve you. And it was God who sent me here, not you. Notice carefully here. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was not you, it was God. God used you just the way you were to bring me to this place at this time for this purpose. Imagine it. He... That's God has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord over all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And you will notice that there are no words here spoken from his brothers as they are just in a daze. And maybe sometimes we respond the same way because we forget that God is a good and loving providential, powerful God. He works in our lives, in our circumstances. We look back at Joseph's lives and all his life and all the things that occurred to him, the terror of being thrown into a pit. We had the perspective of the brothers telling this story to one another to tell us how, they, how he pleaded with them and begged them and cried to them to let him go. But they would not. Sold as a slave. Lied about. Sent into a prison. Forgotten. All of this the design of God. To put him in the right place. Friends if Joseph's life was happy. If his goal for his life was to be happy. He would have failed wouldn't he? No none of this was happy. But it was purposeful. And for him to be able to look back at it 
and see what God has done. Friends, that's joy. Joy through the difficult times because you know that God is at work. He has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you, whatever you are, whatever it is you face. And you say, where is God? Know that he is there. He is powerfully at work. And Joseph sent them back to Jacob. Verse 9, hurry up and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me the Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. Five more years of famine, but the people of God are safe. The people of God are safe. Friend, there is a principle here that is, it ought not to be overlooked. In Judah's response to all of these events, knowing that Benjamin is to be taken and made a servant, and he's thought, what about my father? How could I let this happen? What would become of my father? In a very similar sense, it is what Joseph did when Potiphar's wife came on to him. He said, how could I do this to my father? How? How could I sin against my God? Couldn't do it. You see, our love for our father results in love for other people. Did you know that? The more that you love your God, the more you will find a great vast resource of love for others. Vast resource for others, my friend. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 to 21, we read this. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. The two are connected together, my friends. Take a look at your relationships. If you want to see how much you love God, you want to see, you, you just wonder, hey, you know, how, how great is my love for God? Look at your relationships. Look at the way that you respond to people. Because the one the one concrete way that we can show God that we love him is by we, how we treat other people. People in this room, people outside this room. It is the one way that we can clearly show God we love you by loving others. And you know what, friends? If you want to save yourself a great deal of trouble, keep short accounts. Friends, if the most obvious lesson of all of this isn't, you know, stop hating people. <laughs> you know, I mean, just their hatred for Joseph was enormous. And what was it that Joseph did to cause all of that? His father showed favoritism. And God chose him for a particular ministry. And they said, we just need to kill this guy. Imagine. Watch yourself. You have some animosity towards somebody today? 
I want to challenge you to do this. Ask why. What are you so angry about? There was a person in my life for, for years, really, that I struggled with, and the Spirit of God just kept making it known, digging so much into my heart and my thoughts. And as I, I almost heard the question, I am not hearing voices, friends, but why? Why are you so angry with him? Well, I guess I just didn't like his personality. Well, is, that not the, is that not the dumbest thing you've ever heard, to be angry over someone because their personality was? Check your hearts, friends, just like your pastor. Clean that stuff up. Take a good, hard, long look. Clean it up, friends. Learn the lesson of these. Save yourself a great deal of trouble. Keep short accounts. Make it right quickly. Don't let it fester. Well, friends, it's time to go.